Today on Awaken to Grace, we are in Genesis chapter 39, studying the experience that Joseph had with a woman that the Bible calls Potiphar's wife. Today we're going to talk about temptation. Every single one of us experiences temptation. But the main takeaway, the main principle today is that temptation in itself is not sin. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said so well, sin is in the bite It's not in the bait. So just because we are tempted doesn't mean that we have sinned. Today in this sermon, we're going to learn the incredible principles out of Joseph's life that will serve as guardrails for our own lives and our own marriages. So whether you are single, whether you're divorced, or you're married, or whatever the situation or whatever season of life you are in, you and I are going to face temptations And today we're going to give you the tools, we're going to give you the principles to avoid falling prey to temptation in your life. I want to invite you to go to Genesis chapter 39. Uh, Now, for those of you just joining us, we are in a six-week series called Providence, The Life of Joseph. And today is part two of that series. We're only in week number two. Last week, we talked about the enormous mistakes that Jacob, who is Joseph's father, the parenting mistakes that he made. The main takeaway last week was to show what a dysfunctional home that Joseph grew up in. And the point was... If you grew up in a dysfunctional home, the point was that God redeemed Joseph out of dysfunction. And the way Joseph raised his family was not the way he grew up. And the way you grew up doesn't mean that's how you and your family have to be today. Because God redeems people out of dysfunctional homes. And so if you had a difficult home life... If you had a hard home life, if you had a tough home life growing up, you should look at Joseph because he grew up in a messed up environment and God redeemed him and God delivered him out of it. Where we left Joseph last week is that his 10 brothers had thrown him into a pit. They stripped him of that coat, that beautiful robe of multi-colors that his father had made him. They were so jealous. His father played favorites. He tolerated hatred and jealousy. And they ripped that robe off of him. They threw him in a pit. And they conspired to kill him. And rather than kill him, God's providence stepped in. That's why we're calling the series Providence. And they sold him into slavery. 20 pieces of silver. At that time, that was the price of a handicapped slave. And with no regard to his life or even to his future, they sold him to the Ishmaelites, sold him into slavery. And where we left him last week, he was 17 years old and on his way down to Egypt. Without knowing the language, without knowing the culture, having everything stripped out of his life, he had absolutely nothing except for God himself. And what you and I are going to find today, God is all that he needed. So if you'll begin with me in chapter 39, verse number 1. Today I want to talk to you about temptation. Joseph is going to face the greatest temptation of his life. And Joseph is going to handle himself beautifully, perfectly. And the lessons that you and I are going to learn about temptation in our life will have the potential to spare us from incredible hardship, to spare us from incredible heartache, to spare us from self-destruction. So verse number one, Genesis chapter 39, our main point today is going to be temptation. How do you handle temptation? How do you avoid yielding to temptation? And how do you Walk away from temptation successfully. Begin in verse number one. The Bible says that Joseph was sold and went down into Egypt. The chapter, the, the, the two chapters before it tells us he was only 17 years old. And then 
<coughs> it's going to tell us that it was Potiphar who purchased Joseph, verse number two. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh himself. Potiphar had an incredibly high government position. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. Now, commentators tell us that this most likely was the personal bodyguards of Pharaoh himself. We're talking about an elite group of men. We're talking about an exceptionally high government position. And there's a hint in the Hebrew language that scholars believe that not only was he captain of the guard, not only was he over this very elite group of soldiers, but even more so than that, even more specific, scholars believe he was the chief executioner of Egypt. Let me tell you, friends, That's someone you don't want to make mad. That's someone you don't want to be on the wrong side, right? The chief executioner. And the Bible says that he purchased Joseph as a slave and brought him into his house. And now check check out what the Bible says next. And I want to begin to teach you a couple of principles on temptation. The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. The Bible says that everything that Joseph did prospered. Everything he did succeeded. He was so blessed that the Bible says that Potiphar, who didn't know the Lord, who was an absolute pagan, Potiphar could look at Joseph's life, and even though he didn't know the Lord, he saw that God was with him, and God caused everything that Joseph did to be blessed and succeed. The Bible says everything in Joseph's and Potiphar's house and everything in Potiphar's field was blessed under the hands of Joseph. And the Bible says that God gave Joseph great success and he succeeded in Potiphar's house to the point that Potiphar elevated him to where he managed his entire estate. And the Bible says that Potiphar did not care for anything except what he ate. That was it. Everything else was handled. Everything else was managed by this incredible young man named Joseph. If you're going to take notes today, I would encourage you to write a couple of things. And this is why. Because some of you right now, you are in the throes of temptation. Right now, you love God, you want to follow God, you desire to grow in Christ, but yet there is temptation that is bombarding your life. But then there are others of you, you don't know what temptation lies ahead. You don't know what's ahead of the curve. You don't know what awaits in 2020. That's why I encourage you, Take notes today concerning temptation because what I'm sharing with you today is a set of guardrails that will protect your life. It will protect your marriage. It will protect your children. It will protect your spiritual life. Are you listening to me today? Say amen if you're listening. It will protect your soul. hear me? It will protect your soul. So listen carefully today because I don't care who you are. I don't care what your beliefs are. I don't care what stage of life you're in. Each of us face temptation. Is that right or wrong? Now today we're going to talk very specifically about sexual temptation because that's what the text calls for. But don't limit our teaching today to only sexual sin. Some of you may be tempting, struggling in temptation today in regards to greed, in regard to wrong ambitions, in regard to envy, in regard to the pride of life. So while, yes, the main focus today is on sexual temptation, don't limit it to only sexual sin. Temptation comes in many varieties. Two main principles I want you to understand first concerning temptation, and I encourage you to write this down. Number one, temptation is not sin. Just because a believer is tempted does not mean that that believer has sinned. 
And this is a play in Satan's playbook that he would try to cause Christians to fall. So many people naively think, well, I've already been tempted, so I might as well go ahead. That's faulty thinking, my friend. Temptation in itself is not sin. Where the sin lies is in the yielding, in the, in the submitting to that temptation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an absolute brilliant theologian in Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died at the very young age of 39 years old in a Nazi concentration camp under Adolf Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, and it is an absolute classic, and you should get on Amazon and order it. Better yet, we'll have it in our bookstore. Get it from us. Johnny, don't let me forget. We need to carry that book. The Cost of Discipleship. And he was a brilliant theologian. In my estimation, he was a giant of the Christian faith. And Hitler hung him by a thin wire only days before the Allied forces invaded. Well, he died under Hitler's Nazi Germany, but he wrote just incredible literature. And let me share with you, he has helped me more than anyone in the area of temptation. He wrote a small booklet on temptation, and it is tremendous. And listen to what Dietrich said about temptation and see if this helps you. Again, the principle is temptation is not sin. Yielding to temptation is where the sin is. Every one of us are tempted. The only person who has ever lived perfectly and yielded to zero temptation is Jesus Christ himself. Every one of us, we fail in this area. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So people ask, should now that people, like if you're born again and you're saved, people say, well, are Christians sinless? Absolutely not. We are not sinless. But you know, there is a principle that Christians should sin less and less and less. We are not sinless, but we should be sinning less. Is that right or wrong? So as Christ followers, if anyone should have the ability to withstand temptation and not yield and submit. It should be us who are filled with Christ and his Holy Spirit. So often that's not the case. Remember, temptation is not sin. It is the yielding to temptation that is sin. So here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Sin is not in the bait. Sin is in the bite. Think about that. Sin is not in the bait. Sin is in the bite. So you may be facing severe temptation today. Don't you give in because thinking, oh, well, I've already sinned. No, you haven't. It is the yielding to temptation that is sin. Martin Luther of the Protestant Reformation said it so wonderfully. He said, yes, birds can fly around my head, but I don't have to let them build a nest. So will there be times that you have wrong thoughts? Absolutely. Will there be times that you have wrong dreams? Absolutely. Will there be times that your flesh will get the best of you? Oh, absolutely. But do you know what you do in those times? You shoo those things off. Yes, birds can fly around, but you don't have to let them stay. You don't have to let them take up residence. You see what I'm saying? The Bible teaches we take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's how you shoo away those birds of temptation. Amen? So principle number one, temptation is not sin. Principle number two, notice what the text says. When Potiphar purchased Joseph, and he's in Potiphar's control now, and yet God causes Everything Joseph does to succeed. This really isn't in my notes, but it makes me think of this. Do you live such a God-honoring life? Do you live such a God-fearing life 
that even people who are not Christ followers take note of you? Can people like Potiphar, who don't even know the Lord, see that the Lord is with you? Do you bless everywhere you are because the presence of Jesus is with you? Do you understand what I'm saying today? I want everywhere I go to be blessed. Everything I touch to be blessed. Everything that, every, and does that mean life goes perfect? No, you can look at my blindness and see that life doesn't go perfect for me. But is God's blessing all over me? You bet it is, amen? His blessing is all over my life. And God, and listen, you can go through difficulty and just as Joseph was sold into slavery and things didn't feel fair and things didn't feel right in his life, God still blessed him to the point that pagans even saw the blessing of God is on him. Is it upon you? That depends on how you live. Are you the real deal? Are you the real McCoy? So Joseph is blessed by God. But watch this, watch this. When the Bible says that God made him a successful man, then the Bible is going to go out of its way to say that Joseph was very handsome and he was well built. Two things the Bible couldn't say about me. (laughs) But he said he was very handsome and he was well built. And then you know what the next verse says? And Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon him. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how long that took. When it comes to these chapters of Joseph, the Bible gives us no timeline. So we know he was 17 when he went to Egypt. We know he was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. Between those years... We do not know how long he worked for Potiphar. We don't know how long he was in prison. We don't know how long between the success that Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. The Bible just says after some time, but I would imagine it didn't take long. And here's the principle, and this is what I want you to write down. So often, our greatest temptations come after our greatest successes. I want you to hear that. Often, the greatest temptation comes on the heels of your greatest success. It happened with Jesus. After he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, the voice of God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit fell upon him in the form of a dove and bam, his public ministry was announced. And what happened? The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights by Satan himself. Our times of greatest temptations come on the heels of our greatest success. Don't forget that. Because if you're not careful, you'll be vulnerable. If you're not careful, you'll let your guard down. If you're not careful, you'll feel invincible. And that's when you'll fall, my friend. It's interesting, and you can look this up, but the facts tell us for those who venture to climb Mount Everest, and if you've ever looked into climbing Mount Everest, uh, I have not. Uh, I visit way too many buffets to go to Mount Everest, right? But if you've ever looked into climbing Mount Everest, you know what an endeavor. I mean, it's not just an enormous physical undertaking. It is an enormous financial undertaking. The price that you have to pay to the government of Nepal and the price you have to pay uh, for someone to guide you, I mean, it's just astronomical. And you know what statistics tell us and, and those who do this for a living, you know what they tell us? More people die not climbing Mount Everest, not the ascent You know where most people die? The descent. Why? Because they get careless. They reach the summit and then they're careless. It's more dangerous coming down the mountain than going up. What's that say about our lives? My friends, God will bring you success and if he brings you professional success and 
financial success and relational success and social life success, many friends. And if God so blesses your family and God even gives you great spiritual success, if he blesses all of these wonderful and rich areas of your life, there is a caution. And the caution is that on the heels of our greatest success often comes the greatest temptation. Be aware and take heed and watch your lives. Amen? Is this good teaching today? It's helping me. I don't know if it's helping you, but it's helping me. (laughs) People say, Chad, you preach. You preach so passionately. It's because I'm preaching to me. I can't see if it's hitting you, but it's hitting me. All right. Now, I want to shift gears for a moment, and I want to finish today sharing with you three three principles that kept Joseph from yielding to this temptation. So where are we in our chapter? So Joseph is sold into Egypt by the Ishmaelites. Potiphar, who is the captain of the bodyguard, who is the leader of these elite soldiers and quite possibly the chief executioner of Egypt and an officer of Pharaoh himself, buys Joseph. And God quickly promotes Joseph and blesses everything that he puts his hand to. And the Bible says everything in Potiphar's house and everything in Potiphar's field is blessed because of Joseph. And now Joseph is managing everything that Potiphar owns. And now Potiphar's wife, who the Bible doesn't tell us her name, has noticed Joseph and she's noticed how handsome he is. And how well put together he is and how smart he is. And now she finds herself incredibly attracted to him. To the point that she cuts right to the chase. And she tells Joseph, lie with me. Now, the Bible's already told us that Joseph is quite handsome. And I can't help but to think that Mrs. Potiphar was quite attractive herself. Being in the position that Potiphar was in, he would have had his pick, and I'm sure she was quite stunning. I realize that when I preach a sermon like I am today, I'm very aware of how vast the audience is today, whether you're here in the building with us or whether you're watching or listening online. I realize that there are multiple situations I'm preaching to today. I realize that there are some people who is listening who you're single. And just like Joseph, you're in a season of singleness in your life. I'm going to have a word to share with you that I think we learned from Joseph's life here in a few moments. I realize that there are some of you listening that you are just like Potiphar's wife. You're lonely. You're susceptible. You're casting your eyes and you're about to get in serious trouble and I'll have a word to share with you. I realize that in an audience like ours, not only are there single people, not only are there married people who, when I think of Potiphar and the incredibly high position he is, I think to myself, he must have been gone a lot. He probably wasn't home very much at all. And I'm going to show you why I think and why scholars think that she was incredibly lonely. I think it's right there in the text. And some of you are there in that place. I realize that there are some of you who are divorced and you're struggling right now because you don't know what God wants in the next steps. I realize that there are many listening who have felt the pain of adultery. Some of you, you were a victim of adultery where your spouse walked out on you. Others of you, you have fallen and you have made this very, very hard and difficult sin. You've experienced it. And I'll have a very specific word to share with you, and it's a word of grace and a word of hope, a word of restoration, a word of forgiveness. So I realize that there are multiple situations listening, and, but I believe that just as there are as many people listening 
That's how many different ways the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us today. Amen. So three ways that I want you to know that Joseph had guardrails, that Joseph protected himself. Number one, I want you to know what he did the first time she made an advancement. The very first time that she said, Joseph, lie with me. I want you to note what he did. It's right there in your text. He refused her. He flat out refused her. David Jeremiah helped me with this better than anyone else. And I love what he says here. David Jeremiah says it this way. Joseph had conviction long before he ever had crisis. Oh, that's excellent, my friends. Joseph already knew where he stood in these matters. Joseph already had conviction, well thought out, well developed within his life. And that causes me to think, do I already have conviction in my own life? Or how many of us would have to make a snap decision in the heat of the moment? No, you should have conviction before you're ever faced with a crisis. If we learn anything from Joseph, it is that he flat out refused her. He didn't entertain the thought. He didn't talk it over. He didn't have dinner with her. He didn't open any doors. He just flat refused it, amen? Are you able to do the same with sin? Have you and I thought through scenarios where we go, if Satan ever dangles that before me, I will refuse. He had conviction before he had crisis. Number two, I want you to note this. Not only did he flat refuse her. Now, Joseph is in a very serious predicament because, you know, as a pastor, uh, you know, and this has happened many times where someone will say, you know, someone at my workplace is trying to initiate an affair with me. And, you know, what do I do? Well, you either pray them out or you quit, you go. Joseph didn't have that option. Joseph is a slave. Joseph has no choice but come into this house. And do you know what happens? I I want you to note this. Not only did he refuse her, but number two, he avoided her. Now, there's a principle here that I want you to understand because some Christians are very surprised by this. Often as a Christian, particularly a young believer... You will resist the temptation and you will feel so proud that you resisted that. And in your mind, you think, I got victory. I overcame it. Praise God. And then we're surprised when it comes back. Notice what Potiphar's wife did. Day after day. Are you sometimes surprised that temptation is persistent? Do you find that in your own life? That temptation is persistent. Some of you have been struggling with a certain temptation for years. Why? Because it's persistent. So what do you do if refusing it is not enough? What's the next step? You avoid it. Notice, now watch this. Not only did he refuse her, but when she persisted, when she came after him day after day saying, lie with me. He not only refused it, but then he began to avoid her. He would not lie next to her or be with her. Do you know what commentators think that's suggesting in the text? Scholars think that what that means was, and this goes to the earlier point, most likely Potiphar was gone a lot. Most likely Mrs. Potiphar was quite lonely. Most likely, she was justifying her actions by saying, I'm lonely. Now, don't forget, Joseph most likely is lonely as well. He's ripped from his father and his brother Benjamin. He's unjustly treated. He is unfairly sold into slavery. He is brought down to Egypt into a culture and a language and a world that is literally foreign to him. And how easy it would have been for Joseph to say, forget everything. I'm going to enjoy what little of myself I can enjoy being a slave. How easy. 
But notice what, he, what it says. Not only would he not lie with her, he would not even be with her. How, how many times did Potiphar's wife say, Joseph, eat lunch with me? Joseph, sit on the couch and talk to me. And do you know what Joseph would not do, my friends? He would not open that door. Do you see what I'm saying? He kept the door shut. What is the principle? What is the point? There are some of you, and I know this by the Spirit of God, I know this, that some of you are being pursued by other people. Perhaps it's someone you work with. Perhaps it's an old thing from high school that's resurrected on social media or whatever. I cannot urge you enough to shut the door. Don't entertain it. Avoid it at all cost. And you say, well, Chad, what do you mean by entertaining it? The texting you're doing? The instant messaging that you're doing? The sharing the problems at home and the frustrations you're doing? Shut it down. Amen? Because it's going to bring destruction not only to your life, but to your soul. Listen, now this is a very serious principle. Say amen if you're with me right now. It's a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? But I can't see your face, so it doesn't matter to me. I just say what God says to say. and <laughs> That's one blessing of preaching blind. I don't see anyone's faces. I can't tell if anybody's mad, sad, glad. doesn't matter to me. I just go on. Listen to this principle. Perhaps today you're single. Perhaps today you're in the situation that Joseph was in. Or perhaps today you're in the situation of Mrs. Potiphar where you really are lonely in your marriage. There's not only a physical distance, but there's an even bigger emotional distance. And you are as lonely as you can possibly be let me warn you in this. Listen to what Joseph said. Joseph said when she wanted him to come into her bedroom, listen to what he said. How can I do this sin against Potiphar? And how can I do this sin against in the eyes of God? How easy would that have been for Joseph to have said, God's abandoned me. God has left me. God has allowed all this tragedy to happen to me. Forget God. You know what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said? And oh, please hear me today. Please hear this. Temptation does not make you angry at God. Temptation does not make you hostile toward God. Do you know what temptation does? If you entertain it, if you open the door, temptation makes you forget God. And how easy it would have been for Joseph to forget God. But he knew even in the unfairness of life, God was with him. Are you going through season of unfairness? Are you going through things that you've been dealt a bad hand and you are justifying your actions by saying it's not fair? Let me tell you, child of God, as pastorally as I can, grow up in your faith. Life's not fair, amen? But do you know what we learned from Joseph's story? Life is about chapters. And the chapter that you're in and the chapter that I'm in is not the end of the book. So don't succumb to the bait of Satan. Sin is not in the bait, it's in the bite. So not only would he not sin in the eyes of God, watch this, don't miss this. He said, I can't do this to Potiphar. You know what, one of the number one lies that Satan will tell you when he dangles an affair in front of you, you know what he'll tell you? It's nobody's business. It's no one's business. It's nobody's business. Let me tell you what I have learned 
all of the counseling I've done as a pastor through knocking on two decades now. It never stays confined to just you. It's the people around you who pay the greatest price. It's your children who pay the greatest price. And today, particularly if you're single, don't you have the attitude, well, I can do whatever I want because I'm not married or what? No. Let me tell you, our culture does not preach this, but the Bible preaches it crystal clear. God will judge the sexually immoral. And that goes for if you're married or if you're single. Take that warning. Take it to heart. God will judge the sexually immoral. And do we hear that preached in today's atmosphere, in today's culture? No. But be assured it's true. And it's exactly what the Bible says, word for word. God will judge the sexually immoral. So Joseph had the wisdom to avoid her. He didn't go to lunch with her. He didn't sit and fill her need of companionship up. He didn't have long talks with her. He didn't follow her Instagram account. He didn't text her, obviously, (laughs) but you get the point, right? He avoided her. And today, hear me, if you have doors open in your life, you're going to lunch with someone that in your heart you know it's leading to some, cut it off, cut it. You're messaging someone, you're sharing emotions, you're sharing, cut it off and heed this warning. He refused her, he avoided her, and then lastly today, I want you to watch this. When he avoided her day after day, she planned a plot. There was one day that she most likely knew his daily routine. She knew when he would make his rounds. She knew when he would be coming into the house. And that cunning woman, (laughs) you know what she did? She took all the servants that day and gave them the day off and sent them out where the house was empty. And when Joseph came into the house and began to make his rounds, the Bible says that she took hold of him and tried to force him into the bedroom. And do you know what Joseph did? He ran out of the house. She had such a grip on him that when he ran out of the house, he ran right out of his coat and left his coat in her clutch fist. Joseph and his coats. Oh, what problems they caused him. If I was Joseph, I would never buy another coat. (laughs) I would stay away from them. And the boy ran out of his coat. Do you know what the principle is? David Jeremiah said the greatest statement I've ever heard on this topic. I've never heard a statement more true and more powerful than what he said here and I want to share it with you and I you should write it down in Corinthians and Timothy the Bible tells us flee from sexual temptation flee from sexual immorality flee from this kind of temptation do you realize that in those two places it is the only scripture that tells Christians to run from anything. In everything else, we are to stand. We are to fight. We are to take our stance and not back down and be strong in the strength of the Lord and put on the armor of God and we are to resist and we are to fight Satan head on. But not in sexual temptation. Do you know why? Because God knows, and listen, this is true. There isn't a one of us that is strong enough to stand up against sexual temptation. 
You can wear the armor of God all day long, but you know what the Bible tells you twice in the Bible? You know what it tells you? Run. Flee from it. Don't entertain it. Don't mess around with it. Don't play around with it. You know what the Bible says in, in Proverbs? You know, we use this illustration, don't play with fire, but you know that's literally a scripture in Proverbs. How can a young man take fire into his lap and not be burned? You know that's actual Bible? That's not just a good saying. That's a biblical principle. How can I hold fire and it not burn me? That's why the Bible doesn't say get spiritual against it or resist it or stand up to it or go into spiritual warfare over it. The Bible says run from it, flee, go. Because you are not strong enough to withstand it. You have to run. So what do we learn in this great story of Joseph? We learn, number one, temptation is not sin. Sin is not in the bait. Sin is in the bite. Birds can fly around your head, but don't let them build a nest. We learn, number two, uh uh-oh, what's my second one? Uh Uh-oh. Oh, oh, no, I mean way earlier, sorry. I had two points about temptation. It... Oh, yes, thank you. It's on success. Our greatest temptations come at the time of our greatest successes. So watch your vulnerabilities. Know what your weaknesses are. Look ahead and see ways that you are vulnerable and, and shore that up. And then what are the th- those are the two principles on temptation. Temptation is not sin in itself, and temptation comes at our times of success. What are the three principles we see with Joseph? He refused her. Have conviction before crisis. He avoided her. Don't open doors. Stop the lunch meetings. Stop the communication. Stop the texting. Avoid it at all cost. And then number three, when he could not no longer refuse her, when he could not any longer avoid her, He ran from her. Don't be afraid to run from sexual temptation because it's the only way you're going to win that fight. Now, where we're going to leave Joseph this week, last week, we left him in a pit. His brothers sold him into slavery. And that's where we left him last week. This week, we're going to leave Joseph in prison. You're talking about feeling like a yo-yo, up and down, up and down. Here, God brought him as a slave, ripped from his family, and then God blessed him and God elevated him. Now everything's taken away. When Potiphar's wife accused him of rape and said, here's the evidence. He tried to rape me. Here's his coat. You know, scholars say something very interesting here. If if Potiphar indeed was the chief executioner, why didn't he just take Joseph's head off? Why did he not immediately kill him? Well, one, we know it's called a providence. The same providence that threw him in a pit, the same providence that brought him to Egypt, the same providence that elevated him, the same providence is about to land him in jail. But why did Potiphar not just cut his head off? Scholars think because he may not have completely believed his wife. Isn't that interesting? So now at the end of chapter 39, we're going to leave Joseph in a different kind of pit called an Egyptian prison. But it's not just any prison. Do you know what the Bible calls it? And this is the title of next week's sermon. And please, please don't miss it. The Bible calls it the king's prison. And what do you do when you're in the king's prison? Providence has brought you to the king's prison. You know, at this part of the story, and this is where we'll be next week, When you read the life of Joseph, if anywhere you go, God, cut him a break. God, reward this man. He just withstood the greatest temptation. 
give him something, reward him. And God puts him in prison. But all the purposes, all the plans of God. You and I have the benefit, hindsight is 2020, and you and I have the benefit of looking back and looking at the life of Joseph and oh, the lessons we're gonna learn out of the king's prison next Sunday. Will you be here for that? Amen. What a blessing that's going to be. But for today, what's our takeaway? Temptation is not sin, so don't yield to it. We all face temptation. We all struggle. We all fight this. But so how do you win? You refuse, you avoid, and you run. Let's bow our heads today. Perhaps you're here today and perhaps you're you're someone that whether you're in the building or you're watching online, you have yielded to an affair or fornication. Let me tell you, my friend, there's grace in Jesus today. You may be someone that you lost your marriage or hopefully God willing, you're restoring your marriage. God is helping you and I have seen God restore marriage after marriage after unfaithfulness. I've seen it. I've watched it. I've counseled through it. I've been in the trenches of marriages that rebuild after adultery. And I'm telling you, it can be done. We've done it by God's grace. So if you're someone that there's an affair in your past, let me just be honest with you. Leave it in the past. The grace of God is for you today. And you know what the Bible says to you, my friend? Husband, wife, whoever it is that committed the sin. You want the Bible says? Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You know, you, know what the, you know what the word picture of that is? It's waves of an ocean. And you know what Paul is saying? Where there are waves of sin in our life, there are greater waves of grace. Larger waves of grace. There's forgiveness for you. Say, Chad, if I stood before God right now, I would be a fornicator. I would be an adulterer. Then repent, my friend. Repent now. Repent today. And cut it in Jesus' name. You tell that person who you feel trapped in an affair, let me tell you, you say, Chad, I don't know what to say. Let me tell you what to say. You call them and say, you're not worth my soul. You're not worth my eternal soul. Is it worth it? Is it worth your soul? Because God is very clear. Adulterers, fornicators, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Cut it. Cut it. Cut it. Cut it. Cut it. You say, Chad, how do I be restored? Well, let me tell you, my friend. The Bible says... When you repent, which means you walk away, which means it's an about face, which means it's a 180, which means you walk, you go the other direction. You know what happens when you truly repent? Let me tell you what the Bible says. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and you know what the word confess means? It means to agree. When you agree with God on what sin is, and you say, God, I agree with you. I have sinned against you. And the people I love. You know what? The Bible says when you confess your sin, God is faithful and God is just to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. So whatever's in your past, whatever's back there, God has the ability to cleanse you from every bit of it. Praise God. And now I want to say to those of you who you're about to go over the edge, you're about to crash and burn in a way that you never dreamed. You're about to be unfaithful. You're about to trade your family in 
for Esau's bowl of stew. Let me say to you, take God's word serious. If you are born again today and the Holy Spirit abides in you, Christ dwells within your heart, how can you subject Christ and his Holy Spirit to what you're contemplating? How can you subject him to that? You're the temple of God. You're purchased with a price. You're bought by the very blood of Jesus. And how can you subject that to the sin that you're entertaining right now? I plead with you, walk away. Offend the person if you have to. You think it offended Potiphar? Potiphar's wife when Joseph refused her? Oh, you know it did. Offend them. I would rather offend a person than to offend God Almighty. Walk away. Walk away. And you say, Chad, I don't know what to do. The next time he joins me for lunch, the next time I take her to lunch, the next time she texts me, the next time he messages me, I don't know what to do. Well, you know what? Pray with him. (laughs) Say, you know what? I think we need to pray about this. I don't think this is God's will. And I'm struggling. Let's pray right now. God, help me to avoid this sin. That will shoo them away real fast. You know, it's very true. The Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. It's one or the other. Take God's word literal and spare your soul, spare your family and do not yield to temptation. God, I pray for every person listening, whether they are a student, whether they are a in a divorce situation, whether they are single, whether they are married, it doesn't matter what area of life, it doesn't matter what stage of life, temptation will come knocking. And when it does, give us the spiritual wisdom to keep the door shut, to not entertain, not mess around, not play around. For who can take fire into their lap and not be burned. No one. So teach us to run from it in Jesus' name. I pray pastorally over my own marriage, over my own family. I pray pastorally over every family in my congregation. I pray pastorally for every person that you would spare us from the destruction of sexual sin. Spare us, Holy Spirit. Spare us. Watch over us. Help us. Deliver us from evil and from the evil one. Deliver us in Jesus' mighty name.